Hey folks, we've got a fantastic giveaway for this episode. Smoke and Tears, our guests have provided the six essential hot sauce collection. And if you want to be the one lucky listener that's going to win it, all you got to do is listen to the episode and leave a reply in the comment section for this episode on our page. And tell me, what high school did Shannon Armishaw attend in Ottawa? Be sure to leave your email address so we know how to get in touch with you, and we will mail out six bottles of hot sauce to one lucky listener. You're listening to Can't Sell This, a podcast about creativity, creatives, and their process, with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Well, listeners, I'm very excited to be here today. Uh, as always, we've got another fantastic guest on the show. Uh, I'm just going to jump right into it. I think we're going to have a lot of fun stuff to talk about uh, with me. I have Shannon Armishaw, who is one half of the very exciting new Smoke and Tears hot sauce company. Uh, this is a COVID creation, um, but I think it's it's a it's an uh, I'm going to say it's an effort in creativity that's been. Uh, many years in the making. And uh, one of the things I'm going to be really excited to talk to Shannon about is how uh, the current global situation kind of pushed this creative enterprise into being. So Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am delighted to be here. You started up um, Smoke and Tears with uh, with your, uh, your business partner, Kevin Rickey. That's correct, right? Yes. And so why don't you tell me a little bit about how, what, what the vision was, like, where did this come from? Well, Kevin has been a great chef um, working in restaurants across Ottawa and Toronto for everything from fine dining, molecular gastronomy, head to tail cuisine, even health food, plant-based catering um, for over 20 years. He and I met actually at Murray Street Kitchen Wine Charcuterie, uh, yes. which is a shuttered but much beloved Ottawa restaurant that, you know, kind of won the hearts and filled the, filled the palates of many people. Um, we met there 10 years ago and he has been creating amazing hot sauces on the DL ever since. <laughs> and, you know, we used to, at Christmas time, after we moved to Toronto, we would create hot sauces and condiments and different kinds of jarred goods for friends and family. I feel like our first version of a hot sauce that we did for friends, I called it friends till death sauce. I like it. Um, and then we were also whipping up hot sauces for friends who were getting married because they wanted to have something a bit unusual as their wedding favors. We were making hot sauces for ourselves because we never thought that we loved anything that you could buy as much as what we could make ourselves. And then I suppose after doing this for about a decade, which began with Kevin making a legendary hot sauce in Ottawa at Murray Street using Rito Pines habaneros that Spicoli brought us, um, which became like a black market currency in the Murray Street world. Um, uh, you know, it was, it was hidden in the cellar and everyone would be like, no, no, but we want the good sauce. And the clients in the know would ask for it specifically. They're like, no, no, we don't want, we don't want this. We want the good sauce. Don't give us the Tabasco. We want, 
you know, and they were all referring to this sauce that became liquid gold. And that was very much an experimental sauce that Kevin got these rich, ripe, gorgeous orange habaneros and or habanero peppers and began to experiment with them. And what tended to happen was if you smoke something, it's so it's so easy to pick up this smoke flavor and to have it overpower everything that you do. And Kevin really wanted to make this sauce that was equal parts smoky and pickled and have this very unique pepper. And um, orange habaneros are really only in season at a very specific time. And from our local farmer, that, that window is even more precious. So he wanted to do something to highlight this beautiful pepper in the time that it's the, the freshest and the, the time that it's the best. And that, that became the Murder Street hot sauce. And the Murder Street hot sauce became this crowd-pleasing sauce that we tried to recreate for years and years. And uh, what we've learned in that time that we've been doing all of these different hot sauces, both uh, you know, prior to launching Smoke and Tears and, and post-launching Smoke and Tears is that there are things we can control and there's things we cannot control. And one thing that we cannot control is what peppers taste like, how oh. ripe they are, how bright they are, how sweet they are. So the uniqueness of the peppers is actually what kind of drove us to create this sauce and to create this company mm -hmm. and to kind of begin it all now because the pandemic caused us to realize what we could not control. And that was a lot. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you'd think that it comes down to a science, right? It's a, it, there's a formula and it's followed and you get Frank's hot sauce and it's the same bottle of Frank's hot sauce wherever you buy it. And it's the same formula wherever you go. And it, it's like scientifically measured. And I mean, I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but with, with my co-host, Hugh Elliott, I had the honor and privilege to be able to taste test these, the, the essential hot sauce collection, the six. And one of the things that struck me about all those flavors was that it felt organic. Like it felt like something that was homemade that doesn't sort of lean into that scientific formula and everything is, is set in stone and measured. It felt very much like something where you, like you said, you knew what you could control, you knew what you couldn't, and there's an element of, of risk or chance or uh, just randomness that comes out of making these sauces. Is it like a, is, is it more like an, an art to you than it is a science? That's a great question because smoking traditionally relies on heat, time, and smoke. Mm -hmm. we had the time we might as well bring the heat and the smoke and then our creative methods of actually creating these sauces rely on science art and welcoming the unexpected mm -hmm. because even if we are employing these ancient techniques there is so much that we cannot predict about them so that was kind of our jumping off point for finding a way to create a company and create a sauce that is basically honed by our um, specific 
palates, our love of certain flavors, our understanding of flavors and knowledge of what happens when you create something that actually hits all the notes mm. that, that touches everything that the palate longs for and puts them in one sauce. Because as you've said, this doesn't taste like it's something that's made by a machine and it isn't like a Frank's sauce and it isn't like a Tabasco and it isn't like anything else in between. And perhaps that will be, you know, much to the chagrin of our future um, clientele when they taste that these things are different. But to us, this has been something that we, t we you can taste that it's made mm -hmm. by hand. You can taste that, I loved watching, we both loved watching that taste testing. We were both cackling, eating our breakfast and just so happy we couldn't be torn away from this and, and wishing that we could have been there to comment or to, oh. to add things because you guys were hilarious, hilarious <laughs> and adorable and, and also very pertinent. And so then we found ourselves, you know, shouting at the screen being like, but of course it would be great with ribs. You're so right. You nailed it. And so that, that was so funny because it was our first time actually being able to watch people taste it and eat it live or mm. not live, not live. Well, yeah, but yeah. Which we're very grateful for because, you know, we can get all of the love letters and all of the calls and all the emails and texts and, and Instagram messages, but nothing, nothing meant as much to us so far as our brand new company um, as watching you to eat it live and comment <laughs> live. And, you know, you know, the poor dog is begging for it. Oh, and I know. Poor dog. Chef. <laughs> Chef. And, and then we thought at first for like, is he talking to Kevin, chef? And then we realized it's the most adorable dog I've ever seen who wanted the sauce. And I'm like, don't give yeah, chef the yeah, sauce. You know, and then that became, don't give chef the sauce, sauce. chef. Because knew better. And that was great. Yeah. And then just watching you two experience it for the first time was like Christmas morning for us. Because Aww. we've never seen that before. So I'm very grateful that you, you, you made it such, you know, you brought such circumstance and pomp and, 3D, 3d glory to it like in this virtual world i'm like oh my gosh i hope that yeah i hope everyone who loves 3d stuff i mean i wanted to get goggles just so i could enjoy it in 3d <laughs> in vr yeah but i did i did think that i i did feel like i was there at your table as you experienced it and i loved that dialogue and you know i loved as you guys kind of chose which ones to try and that's like oh no don't do the smoke scream yet like you're gonna ruin your you're gonna ruin your palate, palate. and yeah. so i felt like i was watching this this uncontrollable uh game unfold and you guys i think you picked a lot of the right sauces at the right time and i loved watching right. you taste them all and just comment enjoy yep. it was it was interesting because um uh, the 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 plan sort of uh, for us it also like w you know we decided hey we should do a taste test and then um, Hugh mentioned well I have I brought this camera so I'm gonna I'm gonna set that up do you have a do you have some kind of tripod I'm like oh well I have this small one we can put it right in the middle of the table uh, and then of course uh, Chef is one of my neighbor's dogs and he was just roaming through the backyard <laughs> and, as one does yep and came over and and decided to uh, to beg for food but. Um, I mean, I should, well, first of all, I should say to our listeners that I am putting a link in the description for that video. It is a YouTube video. You can watch it on a, on a VR headset um, through YouTube. 
and uh, it's been up for a while, but if you haven't seen it again, it'll be linked in the description for this episode. Uh, and it was essentially just Hugh and I um, on some unfortunately dry chicken. I may have I've overcooked it, but uh, we tried out all the hot sauces and uh, and gave our extremely um, amateur <laughs> taste testing review of it. Uh, I don't think I uh, am any danger or pose any threat to anyone who's doing uh, uh, culinary reviews. <laughs> but uh, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And I'm glad that you got to see you know some just. Uh, some uh, sauce lovers trying out the, those sauces. And I think like, if we just jump ahead to that, I think one of the interesting things about the sauces that you're making is that it's not about just the heat. It's really about the flavor and the heat. Like you mentioned the smoke, the heat and the flavor, right? Um, I'm not the biggest fan of extreme spice. And I think that there's, a trend in sauces to just go for the hottest thing imaginable. This is going to burn your butt, you know, that sort of thing. And, and here, I mean, uh, the first one we tried was apiary ablaze. And uh, I'll just say after uh, our taste test, you and I took the six bottles and we each picked three and we kept them um, so that we each had our own little uh, supply. And uh, I got apiary ablaze and it is gone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have finished that bottle. Uh, I have put it on pretty much every piece of chicken I've eaten since. So uh, that's how much I, I enjoyed it. It was really, really good. That makes me so happy. <laughs> but here's my question is what else have you put it on? Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, apiary blaze. Let's see. I have a list here somewhere of the things I've done. So mostly chicken. Um, I did try it on pork which was good. I, but I, but the one that I kept for beef was the, um, uh, which one was it? The, uh, uh, the, I think the bad blood BBQ, which is also delicious. And then I saw some of your, um, uh, recipes online. And this is another thing that was, that I thought was fantastic that your, your website, smokeandtears.ca has some recipes and the ones that really appealed to me were the, the, the white bean hummus. And, and then there was another hummus one as well. And that's just because, um, I have been making my own hummus at times. So, uh, I haven't tried it yet because, uh, one of them was with green godless and that was one that, that Hugh took with them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I am, I am getting ready to make another order <laughs> and I'm going to grab some green godless so that I can make the, uh, the hummus with that. And that's what I'm excited for. You see, that's so interesting to me. And I think that that has been one of the most interesting things so far lately is that is understanding that people who love food and love to cook and make their own hummus and make their own everything. What was the third sauce that you got? Mm. So I got apiary blaze. I got the spice and I got um, the bad blood BBQ. Okay. So as Hugh very you know, eloquently and instantly put it. It's like the BBQ is begging for ribs. Mm-hmm. It's begging for chicken. It's begging for all these things. The spice must flow, mm. which you two picked up on, yep. which very few people pick oh. up on. So we were very <laughs> pleased by that. Um, not everyone has understood that, that little reference and that spice 
I would also say if you put a few drops of that in any kind of hummus, it will mm. make it, it will blow it up. It will make it gorgeous and bright. And it also makes for a great uh, base, a little bit of a base for guacamole. Oh, cool. Which he was also saying when he tried the green godless. Yes. So you guys were saying a lot of things and we were, we were, we were like the bad audience yelling at the movie, like, don't go in that room. But we were like, yes, yes, try it with ribs. Yes, try it. And so that was kind of funny for us because it actually was the first time that we saw it live. And therefore we were like, this is what people need to be shown now. Mm -hmm. Because what we did is like, we created these sauces to be an essential part of cooking and a very adaptable part of cooking so that they could be enjoyed hot or cold and that it could enliven anything. You could enliven store-bought sauces with them. You could enliven like hummus that you buy. That's just very basic and brighten it up mm -hmm. with the stuff, but also you can cook with it in a million different ways. And it was very much designed to do that. And watching you two in action, seeing your natural instincts and reactions to these things, being like, oh, I could do this. We were, we realized you helped us redirect actually a lot of our future planning. So we're going to be amping up all of the recipes and oh, find, nice. finding ways to communicate this in, a, in an easier way. Because literally, if you put like the truffled, if you put almost any of them, mix it with if you're having a barbecue, if you mix it with mayonnaise, if you mix it with ketchup, if you miss the if you mix the truffled or the agony with ketchup, you've got kind of like a play on a sriracha, but a little bit more upscale. If you add the truffled to a mayo, you've got a truffled habanero mayo. You know, there's very and the apiaria blaze is really great with ham. It's great with mm. um, we actually use it as salad dressing. The apiary blaze we use straight up to dress all of our greens, like arugula salads. Mm -hmm. It becomes like a very zesty, amped up Caesar salad style thing. Um, you can also use it for to like just to become a bean salad. Like this alone, with maybe a touch of oil, will become a bean salad, potato salad, pasta salad. Love like I, the list just goes on and on. And so we realized that creating the sauces was really only one quarter of the battle learning how to communicate these sauces the, the potential of these sauces rather and how to create visual easy step-by-step -step instructional and um, valuable things mm -hmm. valuable useful ways to describe this to friends and family and all of our new clients and everyone who's tasting it that's the new thing because people are only, if people are only dipping their, their food in smoke and tears, this is great, but it's really just the beginning. Oh yeah. That's, that's like the introductory step to what you yeah. can do with sauces. No, I, uh, it's interesting. Uh, my, um, my tastes have changed over the years and I used to be, you know, an all dressed kind of guy, especially for burgers. And, um, my partner, uh, Kim, she she's not so much into into a wide variety of condiments and, and dressings. So it's got me to rethink how I approach a burger. And now I I sort of go for theme. Right? I'm like, what sauce? What vegetables? What am I going to put on this? And and less is more because then 
I mean, you know all this. This is this is elementary to many people, but it it you know, ten years ago, I made that realization, and since then, I've sort of I think I've gotten to the point where when I have a sauce, I'm like, what can I combine this with that would be good and wouldn't just all the flavors drown each other out. Mm-hmm. However, it, back in the olden days when we were actually working outside of the home pre-COVID, which is feeling like a distant memory these days, um, uh, some of the people that I worked with um, just weren't, uh, I'll say they just weren't cookers. They weren't people who who made meals at home. They would make something simple, but if they wanted a good meal, they would they would go out and eat or order out. And uh, it blew my mind how often these people in a month would eat from a restaurant or either ordered or, or by going out. And, you know, when I told them, Oh, no, I'm, I make my own hummus or, you know, we made our own taco seasoning. It just, they were just like, how, what magic do you know? <laughs> and I'm like, it's not, it's not magic. It's literally, well, some of it is, is, is trying things out. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I, uh, I have a, uh, a recipe that I just tried out once, which is a, um, a tandoori tuna salad. And uh, it's gotten to the point now where I cannot eat tuna without uh, tandoori on it because it just, I'm always like, but it's just so much better. Oh yeah. But um, uh, so it's, it, there's these little recipes or these little things that, that, you know, trial and error or just, just experimentation I've tried. But when you have a website that says, Hey, we have these sauces. They're very delicious. You can definitely just put them on your, your chicken or your beef. Uh, but here's a bunch of recipes. And this is the interesting thing because you've now got uh, a product and you can grow a, a community around it, right? Because it's not just about a sauce. It's about the, the, the cooking experience, the kitchen experience, the, uh, the table experience. I mean, so, so much of our lives, uh, uh, and our social interaction, it revolves around food, you know, and that, that I think is probably for, at least for me, the thing that I miss the most since we've been, you know, forced into isolation and, you know, like I'm trying to stay healthy and safe, not just for my sake, but for the sake of my family and friends. So we don't see people as often. We don't have dinner parties anymore, or maybe we do, but it, it, it's changed. So now, um, being able to bring people in with a product and then give them the opportunity to grow and turn that into something that is much more community focused. And, and I just mean like, like your community of, of um, customers who then can build on what they're doing with your product. I think that's so fascinating and, and such a, 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 an interesting way for, uh, for you to grow. It's, it's been very fun. Um, we basically wanted to feed friends from afar when we began this. Um, we wanted to feed friends from afar and we saw that our friends were overworked, extremely stressed, I guess, about struggling. They were struggling to handle all the priorities. They had a lot of plates in the air And the initial idea to feed friends from afar by offering them a sauce that was restaurant caliber because everyone missed restaurants. Um, But you were also talking about how all of your friends were 
really not eating meals at yeah, home no. and how, and how yeah. you're one of the few really. And then, and, and what does that mean during a pandemic? Right. Because mm-hmm. if, if they, you know, cause I'm talking about people that I worked with, you know, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was like, well, are they just ordering delivery every day? Because they're not going to restaurants anymore. They're not getting that experience. So either they're learning to cook at home. And I mean, we did see that, you know, baking was a thing that became very popular uh, yes. during the first few months of, of the pandemic. Um, but I mean, uh, I've, I've continued to just be like, well, you know, let's change up the dishes that we're eating. You know, we tried different diets. We tried doing more vegetarian dishes. We tried doing extremely low carb or low sugar dishes just because we could. I love the fact that you have tried new things and you have gone from being, you know, someone that put every condiment on your burger, no matter what, to understanding the flavors and the pairings of one burger and you know, defining that one burger by the condiments with the vegetables and considering all those things to the person that then began making tuna and understanding what made it better, even if in its, in in its humble canned form, that is a beautiful thing. And so therefore it doesn't surprise me that you are the kind of person and the kind of household that does look okay we are here in this pandemic, we are cooking the things we know well, we want to know more, we want to expand, we want to keep ourselves from burning out from this repertoire that we're kind of, and also recognizing that we become stuck in a repertoire, regardless of who we are, regardless of our knowledge of cooking or our lack of familiarity with creating any meals in house. knowing where we're at, knowing where we're beginning. And it might be some people are just starting off learning how to make an egg salad sandwich. And some people are cooking up their Instapot masterpieces. Mm -hmm. Another crucial Ottawa centric beginning. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've taken the world by storm, but all started in Ottawa and everyone is at a different point. So I love the fact that you have recognized where you're at and recognized the fact that you wanted to expand your repertoire to new things, try everything outside your comfort zone and sought health conscious, Mm. um, health conscious recipes oriented around different ingredients, tried new things. And I think that that was perhaps something that has been harder for some people in this time in lockdown is a lot of people have become um, people who are, who are specifically really, I would not like to say reliant upon takeout and to go and grab and go and restaurants, Mm -hmm. but based on a lot of our lifestyles, I mean, I used to eat out at restaurants almost every day of the week or have restaurants deliver in in my previous life in the before times um as as a you know in my previous role as a art collection manager and I traveled internationally and I did that and so those kind of um the restaurants that became staples in my life and the meals that became staples in my life were super important to me and they were quite diverse and they weren't necessarily things I could create at home. So Mm -hmm. I can understand that for any business 
person or for any, um, you know, young individual or older individual or anyone in these worlds of lunch meetings and business and international travel, it's been very challenging. And it was very challenging in the beginning because what happens when, when that closes down and you have to rely on yourself Mm -hmm. or you have to eat out, which can become very expensive and, that that there's a very fine line between wanting to support every single important restaurant to you you know all of the the restaurants that we know and love that we want to support that we wanted to make sure made it through this and we want to make sure that we showed our love and gave them all the customer all the um support and support that we could exactly exactly and so there is that fine line but there's a lifestyle thing and then there's a community responsibility aspect to it too. So that was an interesting kind of line to look at and be like, how do we provide people with an, with access to different food outside of their comfort zone to an easy entry point to a different Mm -hmm. palette, a different flavor and a different world within that world. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's also a lot of correlation between um, how how the pandemic affected, you know, what we eat and how yeah. we cook and how we prepare meals or whether we're just ordering. Uh, and also, um, I, I mean, I remember in the first few weeks of lockdown, there was a lot of discussion about how, how are we going to stay productive with work? You know, not, not every... Um, uh, not every job can be done online, but for those that could, I mean, I, you know, I, I, you come from from art curation. I'm I'm in media, so a lot of what I do uh, could easily be done. And in fact, I had been working freelance for a number of years before the pandemic hit. So my the real change to my my daily work life was just more Zoom calls and and additional Slack channels. Uh, but I think for a lot of people that were used to working in the office this now I have to work at home now I have to navigate how to work at home I have to build a home office I have to 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 navigate you know my kids are home so how do I work and and kids but I think over the course of the year this balance has been struck and now the story that I'm hearing from many of my friends who have have you know like on-site office jobs and have been working at home for a year is like I'm not sure I'm ready to give it up uh, because I've struck this balance, I've been able to be productive, but also be there for my kids when they need me to be there. I can work at different hours of the day. So, you know, it's changing habits, I think, is mm-hmm. what, I, what I'm getting at. And, and uh, in what we eat, those habits, I, th- I think, have allowed us to sort of explore a little bit more or, uh, you know, like... I should just learn how to cook. How hard can it be? And and like I said, for for myself, when when I first started doing it, it was like, oh, this is not magic at all. This is just either find a recipe and follow it, or uh, find a recipe, follow it, and then learn how you can tweak that because you learn what each of the flavors does, right? And it's it's it it does feel a little bit like potion making. I won't lie. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but that's fun. <laughs> it's um, magic. <laughs> yeah, that's the magic part. So maybe it is a little bit, a little bit of magic. And and so I want to switch the topic a little bit. Um, speaking of magic, uh, I am a sucker for good packaging. And I got to say, I absolutely adore the Smoke and Tears uh, hot sauce bottles. 
So where did that come from? Where did, where, how did the whole brand imagery come about? Well, I'm delighted that you love them. I love them too. They're very cute, especially those little bottles that you have. Mm. The small bottles that are now part of our six essential pack are adorable. And the brand kind of, the imagery came from this idea of the very little actual factual knowledge I have um, of design. But as a visual artist, I just have always believed that if you have something that can be distilled into icons and symbols and read without needing words, you kind of have something special. And I don't know if this actually exists in the real world or if it was just my version of ex existing in the real world. I just imagined if you have something in a cave as a drawing um, or on a wall or in the form of graffiti, you know, do you need words or can you express it in imagery? And I'm, you know, a visual arts educated Canterbury High School. Ah, uh, yes. Perpetually <laughs> creative child that was enrolled in the Ottawa School of Arts by the time I was two, because my parents were confused about the fact that I was drawing perfect circles and then wanted to make sure that my creativity was fostered at that point. Um, it led me to become someone that just thinks about images all the time mm -hmm. and thinks about how images translate and how images can be communicated. And then there's the other side of things that, um, I guess the other side of me that also worked at Tommy and Lefebvre, worked in a boardroom, was raised riding and, you know, testing snowboards and obsessed with the skateboard culture in Ottawa that is ever growing and now burgeoning, obsessed with the arts culture, the graffiti culture, um, the graffiti wall downtown, and just always thinking about how images can convey words and words don't need to, to actually articulate anything necessarily. So mm -hmm. this idea of creating a brand that could be recognized then as just images and also as words, but could be also translated into a number of medium um, or a number of icons, I suppose, became something quite appealing. And as I became aware of the, I don't know, the icon and emoticon world more and more as a very old adopter of, or, you know, like an older adopt, adapter adopter of this. Yeah. Um, I just thought we need to create something that can encapsulate the story of this idea and the story of this time. And if we were to write it on the wall of a cave, would people be able to know who we were and would people be able to know who we were because we are kind of, I don't know, drawing on these really prehistoric methods of canning and particularly smoking is, mm -hmm. a, is a prehistoric method of pr preservation and pickling is also quite, quite old. And so I was thinking back on the cave drawings, which is when smoke 
smoking meats to preserve them would have become um, more prevalent or would have been invented rather. And then pickling would have happened short after, shortly after. And so just creating something that, uh, creating a brand that is based on the symbols as well as the words, but not reliant upon the words became mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something just kind of interesting to me as an art project, which of course has resulted in 40 icons. Yeah. And I mean, so so there's the sort of this, you have like a, a a core which is the the smoke and tears logo, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, the, which is an icon. But I mean, I think it's interesting that you say that you know you have a, a limited uh, uh, understanding or knowledge of design, but you come from a fine arts world. But I mean, I would I would uh, uh, counter that by saying, um, if you come from an art world, visual arts, and you understand art and how it communicates, then you're just coming at, at um, design from the other end of the spectrum, rather than coming at it from the, the sort of corporate messaging to how do we design this to then we need to make this better and make it more artful, you know, because the, the best brands are the ones that when we look at them, like this is something that is art, this is something beautiful. It's not just a corporate communication. You're just coming at it from the other side and making the art first and understanding the communication because I think it communicates it very well. Um, there is a drinking establishment in the UK called The Alchemist and they have a very Poe, uh, feel to it. They have these, they have the same idea, like, like icons and image, like woodcut imagery, uh, a very distinctive look to it. Uh, I, I won't go into, I mean, it's a crazy place because they use, they use lots of chemical reactions to make crazy drinks that smoke the whole table up and dry ice and things like that. It's, it's a very, very bizarre experience, but, but what really got me there as well was, was the, the level of, uh, thought that they put to the um, the system of icons. And I think the first thing that I thought when I saw the the labels of, on the balls was like, oh, this reminds me of the alchemist. The same sort of, here's our logo, but the the label on this bottle has been has been altered in such a way that when I look at it, it's unique and individual and says something about the sauce that's inside of it. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't immediately apparent. You know, so for instance, the um, uh, the apiary ablaze has the honeycomb pattern, and it took me like I mean, it's 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 got a lot of like um, like prism shapes. But then when yes. I saw the honeycomb pattern, I was like, oh, of course, because it's it's honey. It's it's apiary ablaze. It's it's a honey mustard. So I'm just looking at this for the first time. <laughs> That's the uh, the uh, alchemist site alchemist.uk.com yeah yeah it's uh, if i i will recommend it it was it was a <gasps> bit loud music wise but uh oh <laughs> you're seeing something you like well here's here's the tricky thing and like maybe this is the thing about being a creative oh god they even have a hand waving <laughs> it's interesting you know it's like it's being an art school kid i think in a way that it's easier to create for me when i don't know what exists in the world. Mm. It's always been easier for me to create when I do things from the pit of my soul versus the Pinterest board that inspires something. Mm. That's interesting. I like that. And maybe that's this bratty art school thing. 
And maybe this is the two-year-old that drew perfect circles until they drew outside <laughs> the line and then totally freaked out and lost, you know, ripped up the pages. But I want these creations that come to come from my own, like, you know, the deepest recesses of my soul and my intrinsic knowledge about anything. I don't want them to come from outsiding, outsider influence. Right. Um, and so it's, lovely and beautiful and simultaneously a little bit heartbreaking to know what exists but mm. i do think that there is an important line that we must draw as creatives to know that it's likely that something exists in the world that looks like you and sounds like you maybe and and talks like you and maybe it's about making friends with those people because yep. they are kindred spirits and not like I'm gonna ditch the hot sauce company because they've already they've, they've already all, done this. Yeah. Yeah. They have beautiful icons that remind me of myself. And so I'm gonna give up. Um, that's always been an interesting line to toe, even as an artist. That's something interesting that we can talk about is this concept of originality and uh, at least in Western culture, we place a lot of emphasis on originality. Mm -hmm. You know, like if it's been done before, we shouldn't do it because it's already been done. But as we move into the digital culture and digital age and where we are able to see more of what's happening and in, in other conversations I've had, I've talked about how the, uh, the cost and the barrier to entry to create is, is reducing across the board, right? I mean, it, uh, for, for writers, you can self-publish. There are plenty of platforms where you can get your books out without need, the need of a publisher. For uh, artists, tools like Photoshop have made it much easier to create digital art. Uh, and then also a plat there's platforms to, uh, to sort of uh, distribute that art digitally online. Uh, even film and television, um, you know, the cost of a, a, or, or a prosumer grade camera microphone and lights uh, has come down drastically from where it was and you can film your own short films and i mean it's even get to the point where people like make short films on your iphone you know as, it's more about the storytelling than it is about the tools but now that we have those tools uh it becomes much uh more easy to to produce content which means that there's more content being produced which means that we are now looking at if i have an idea for something it's probably not going to be original not only because in all of history, someone may have come up with the same creative concept, but even today, somewhere else in the world, everyone has the same opportunity to get those ideas out. So I think it is more important than ever that we, we ditch this idea of being wholly original and embrace just creating good content or good products. I couldn't agree more. Awesome. And quite <laughs> frankly, you know, even these original icons, once I had distilled them, I was thinking, well, where did I first see them? Did mm -hmm. I see them in lover's locks? Or um, you know, there, there was a Victorian era of lover's eyes mm. where people were painting their lover's eyes or lovers were sending each other a picture of their eyes or a depiction of their eyes painted. And they were often jewelry surrounded by pearls or diamonds. And this was a beautiful time and these pieces are incredible. But then there's also emblems um, 
ancient manuscripts, mm-hmm. emblems and symbols that were part of such ancient books that I also have a really kind of familiar history with and accidentally, I mean, we just, as creative people, I think that we take in everything that we see and we don't even necessarily know that we've taken it in. Then there was the idea of tattoos and even the Sailor Jerry's or the the ways that new newer brands or that companies around us kind of take in this tattoo culture and what an eye means and what these symbols mean. And so there, there are all these ideas and these images in my head. It doesn't help that my, I've been painting and drawing hands and faces and actually eyes and female, um, I guess, portraits for years, but then seeing these things around and also thinking about a time where we're living and all we can recognize from another person is by seeing their eyes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there was the, you know, additional stories and the fables behind Smoke and Tears, which is a whole different ball game that doesn't involve necessarily the imagery, but what the imagery conjures as far as big fables, big stories, and almost like a cinematic, I have these cinematic ideas, which allowed me to create this, but um, I don't know how they all tie in necessarily. It's clear that there is a, a deeper thought that's been put into this other than just putting a, you know, a, a skull and a logo on it and three, three uh, chili peppers to tell you how hard it is. You know, the, the, there's a very simple way of doing this. And then there's a very a creative and artful way of doing this. And you've definitely gone down that, that second road, uh, which, which I, I was very, very happy to see when I opened up the box of bottles. I was like, <laughs> Oh, these are so great. Um, and, and you and Hugh also made me realize I should probably include somewhere those skulls and chili peppers just to tell people how spicy these sauces are. Yeah. I, you know? That, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think I, I noticed that in the, the wording that you used, I, I could kind of tell, but it did t- I realize now that it did take, I needed two bottles to make that distinction, right? Yes. I could, if I just had the one that said, you know, smoke scream, uh, smoked habanero agony, I could guess from agony that it was hot, but but it wouldn't be until I saw the smoked jalapeno verde that I'd be like, oh, this one is not as hot as this one. <laughs> You're like godless or agony, godless or agony. agony. I mean, it's it's a toss up, right? Yeah. But because we don't know how hot any of them are. And and then I was like, we are doing everyone a disservice. When I was <laughs> watching you two, I'm like, they don't know which one's hotter. They're going to try the agony. And, and that also was really important because as novices or, you know, as, as new people, as people who are new to the world of e-commerce, new to the Mm -hmm. world of having a company, having a brand, I have a million backstories about every single hot sauce that we've (laughs) created. I have a full lifestyle playlist, reading list for each of these sauces, but we do not but we don't have a heat rating on any of the bottles. So that's maybe the creative mind at work. I don't know, because I'm like the traveler, you know, we've been here, we've been here, we have been everywhere. We are missing our, our, you know, the hot Moroccan market. Mm -hmm. And we've been Mm -hmm. missing all of these, these experiences. We've been missing 
backpacking and sleeping under the stars perhaps are um you know perhaps with a sleeping bag full of scorpions or not and you know we have all these stories i have them for each of them and how they've also all responded in this way and i probably have theme songs and characters but god forbid i've I have not put a heat rating on any of them. So this is a learning experience. Yep. You two help me Yay. learn rather quickly. Next yeah. batch. Get, Next get batch. A, get an get a, get a interesting little uh, heat meter on the back of that bottle. Absolutely. <laughs> and everyone is making, is making, you know, observations and commenting and really helping us up then, you know, change the ways of our and learn very quickly. People, mm-hmm. people are saying what they need and what they want to see. And that has been so helpful. Our friends and family and all of our, you know, 500 plus clients that have ordered over 3000 bottles. Amazing. Amazing. So, the, so yeah, you, you had mentioned before the launch has gone very well. Uh, I know that we've been trying uh, hard to get this, uh, this recording session on the books and uh, you've been very busy and uh, I just take that as a sign of great, great success. Um, uh, but yeah, so I think that sort of leads me to the, the next uh, round of questioning, which is, so it, it's clear to me that, you know, Kevin has been creating hot sauces and you have been creating hot sauces together for friends for a long time. Uh, and you uh, have been, a fine artist since you were two years old. Um, and so you have this, this design and art uh, uh, in you, right? But what was it like, what, why did it come about when it came about? Like, what was it about COVID or the pandemic uh, that made you say, all right, we're rolling up our sleeves and doing this right now? That's a wonderful question. COVID hit and I wrapped up six and a half years of international traveling. I was able to be still in our apartment in Toronto, which we've you know lived in for almost 10 years for the first time for more than a month, which allowed me to take some time and wonder what we would be doing with ourselves in the future. And of course, At this time, I was finishing a master's in museum studies with Johns Hopkins. I had just gotten my um, British citizenship, my UK citizenship, and the world was closing down before our eyes. So Kevin had been running a very successful ready-made health food and catering company, which he had stepped away from in light of the changes Mm -hmm. when COVID brought it to its knees. And as we began to analyze what was within our control and what was with, you know, what, what happened outside of our control and how could we begin to plan for anything when there were so many variables in the air. We Mm -hmm. just, I had a million thoughts about launching VR exhibits. I was trying to work with some augmented reality. I was doing things, trying to highlight 
a lot of the important museums and artworks and artists that are creating beautiful works in the city. But I also realized that museums and galleries are not exactly um, hiring everyone right now. Mm-hmm. They're kind yep. of slowing down and restaurants are changing and everything is changing. And what I noticed about a lot of companies a lot of amazing entrepreneurs who I respect and admire was that issues were happening for them because there was so much out of their control. So it could be someone who works in social media. It could be someone who works in event planning. It could be someone who works in the restaurant industry or the arts world or anything. And because of these systems, either a product wasn't arriving on time Mm -hmm. or something wasn't finding a person on time. I mean, even simple things like packages were being suspended in the mail for months on end. And all I thought was I'm about to graduate and there is nothing that I can rely on right now, aside from what we are capable of creating within these walls and within our capacity mm-hmm. and short of blowing our own glass bottles and growing our own peppers. This is something that we know very well that we do with the greatest passion all the time and have always done and would always continue to do regardless of whether we were millionaires or no matter what, it's just a constant. And so I just thought, let's try to, do something to keep ourselves busy, to mark this time, to give me a creative outlet because we need one Mm -hmm. as creative people. We need something to do that is creative, that allows us to express ourselves. And I just, I was finishing up at Johns Hopkins. I saw this empty schedule that lay ahead of me and Kevin's been creating these beautiful sauces that are so beloved by so many people for so many years. I was like, this comes naturally to me. We will design these sauces. We will make them. We will offer them to friends and family and, and we'll just see. And Kevin's like, okay, make a list, send them off to friends and family. And of course he thought I'd make a list and send them off to 25 friends and family members. Oh no. Because that's, you know, that was, that's his idea. And then, you know, two days later, I've created a document, (laughs) beautiful, a beautiful spark document. Thanks to my time working with the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, which taught me all about these lovely Adobe Spark programs and all these, uh, you know, the intro to design. Like I don't know how to use Illustrator yet, but I learned how to use Adobe Spark thanks to the National Museum of Natural History and my time working with this wonderful department. So I designed a menu of 20 items and we sent them off to not 25, but about 60 people, friends and family. And then 1,200 bottles were ordered. Oh, wow. And we sent, we sent it off at the, at the very end of November. We asked to have everyone's responses by the 8th of December, so a week later or two. No, it, was, it was a week later. And then by the 16th, we began delivering all these sauces across Toronto, throughout Ontario, and then in Ottawa and Quebec. 
because that was the demand and that was how many people were waiting for Kevin to make the sauces and they knew it was going to be great. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yeah. I I really love that. And I love that that also plays into this sort of like Kickstarter uh, aesthetic or this Kickstarter uh, vibe that a lot of, you know, startup local companies have, whether or not they're using Kickstarter, because you, again, you're creating a community around a product and they're going to give you their feedback. And if you take some of that, like, for instance, if you were to say, oh, we're going to put, put a, a, um, you know, a little indicator of how hot it is. And if I see that on the next bottle, I was like, I, I was a part of that, you know, and I'll feel good about it. I'll feel like I'm, I'm actually a, a part of this community that surrounds your product. I love I love this. <laughs> so, so I think, um, uh, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit more about, about uh, Shannon Armishaw, but, uh, you know, I, I think to, to let, let's do that. And then, and then um, we'll come back around to smoke and tears uh, to wrap this up. But I wanted to, to say, you, you mentioned that you graduated from John, uh, Johns Hopkins with a master's and uh, by the time this episode actually airs, this will already be done, but you also, you're doing something kind of special this week. You're doing like a, an Instagram takeover for them. Yes. I'm doing an Instagram takeover for the Johns Hopkins museum studies group Oh, um, nice! on Instagram. And this is a very important week in the museum world. We've got multiple conferences going on. There are a lot of exciting things happening and I am delighted to be there. And it's a very interesting switchover from someone that's been kind of living and breathing smoke and tears and mm-hmm. learning the e-com stuff and learning social media and trying to master TikTok and doing all these other things to going back to my kind of roots as a artist, art collection person, museum art gallery world and there is a lot of overlap but there is also a big switch over as far as Mm -hmm. our perspectives are kind of concerned and so that has been an interesting part of my my day and my week yeah i I can only imagine that the state that any kind of location-based entertainment they're really struggling uh in this time and I, i can only imagine you know museums with the 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 overhead that they have to pay that there's a it's a it's a challenging time for them mm-hmm. i i think it's been a hugely challenging time and i'm also extremely impressed and endlessly inspired by how museums all over the world have stepped up mm-hmm. to even in the earliest days of the pandemic become kind of recognize their role as truth tellers and people that and in institutions that could aid in and supplement education. Mm-hmm. And so trying to provide even in Toronto and, and internationally people, museums that have been providing educational packages and in ensuring that their virtual experiences are amped up and trying to create a, a better educational package or a greater educational package for, for children, for school children. Museums have always been attempting to become a part of our educational system and always making sure that their offerings and their 
programming will help supplement Ontario education, Canadian education. And so seeing the ways, the creative and very innovative ways that museums have been finding methods to do this. And even if it's something as simple as making archives available online or doing these kind of live chats, I feel at this point that school children no older than four or five are now more equipped to handle an online life than mm -hmm. me because they've simply been forced to, or, you know, they've simply had to adapt to this. And I think that's so interesting. And these museums have been doing that with them. Um, is know. that, is that a, um, a part of your life that you are still interested in pursuing, like in your career to do, to continue to work with museums um, either as an, as an art collector or curator or, or to, to work, like you mentioned before that you were thinking about how can we take these physical installations and make some kind of virtual exhibit out of them? Is that still something that you're focused on or, or are you now sort of a little bit more hands off of that and focused more on, on smoke and tears? I think that my mind, my mind frame has shifted a lot in the last few months because I wanted to create a company that might become self-sustaining. I wanted to create something that would help my friends and family here and now and respond to more immediate urges and needs, um, you know, by giving people things, sauces that would allow them to, you know, kind of get out of their creative ruts and create beautiful food and experience restaurant caliber eats outside of their home, but actually from the comfort of their own home, mm -hmm. maybe inspire, as you've kind of said, like looking up recipes and, and, and coming up with these other ideas for health conscious and food based, based things. Um, I wanted us to create something that would be a, a record of here and now. So it was never, Smoke and Tears was never meant to be a everlasting machine made thing. It was meant to be a art oriented or, you know, maybe a, like a, a collision of art and food mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. oriented in here and now. And, and by celebrating every month with a new drop, we are marking the time, we are celebrating here and now, and we're acknowledging not everything bad is happening or, or kind of making the best of what is happening now. So, you know, the darkest months of January and February and March in lockdown, if we can bottle those things and smoke them and brew them and bottle them and turn them into something delicious was all lost or was something beautiful created from that time that we can then bottle, put on a shelf and open up later when we're ready to have yeah. it or not. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it was meant to, it was, there's been a million different stories behind this, mm -hmm. but it's like, is it, is it a cheeky way of like, we do what every Canadian or Torontonian wants to do. <laughs> we, we bottle up all this bad time and we put it in a sh on a shelf for later. Uh, to enjoy, to appreciate, to uncrack when we're ready to handle it. Yep. Yes, you can do that because it's a shelf stable thing. So I've got a million cheeky kind of stories behind this idea. 
which is meant to eat like a celebrate passing time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. give something give something to everyone so that we can all celebrate us and and everyone else all of our clients all of the people that are slowly hearing about smoke and tears through word of mouth which is beautiful and so then you know it becomes like the idea was for it to become this x on on your calendar where we knew something fun would happen this day of the month and people would get excited and people would get to eat delicious things and try and and also appreciate the difference of these things mm -hmm. because beyond the smoke and tears original story of this idea of kind of like i don't know the the grown-up tale of what happens when your life disappears in a cloud of smoke or a river of tears there is this idea of things going away things being transient really mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as smoke dissipates tears evaporate and this time will pass which is a very you know kind of buddhist and i don't know um this is this knowledge that nothing will ever be the same so mm -hmm. what happens if we cannot dread these moments but also just learn to celebrate mm -hmm. them well that transiency also plays into what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast and, and how um the sauces you make do feel like something that you know i might get uh apiary blaze get another bottle and it'll be slightly different there'll be a little bit of a change because you use you know the things that were out of control the the peppers that that were grown that tasted a little bit differently. Um, just like every single meal that I cook, that's never the exact same meal twice. And, and I actually love that. I love the the uh, the unknown of, of what I'm going to be tasting. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like you you know you've you've really found something that you are passionate about that that allows you to you know express your creativity. I think you've done a wonderful job with the branding. I think Kevin's done a, a fantastic job. You've both done a fantastic job with the sauces themselves. Uh, I, I honestly think this is one of my favorite products right now. Uh, just and like it just gets better the more I hear about the story behind it and the and and what you've created. It's just it, there's so much depth to it. It's fantastic. You got to find a way to, to to take those little backstories and playlists uh, for each of the sauces and hide them somewhere that for us to discover. Because because uh, I will I'll get my Spotify account out and I'll start listening to those playlists when I eat them. Um, so that being said. Um, we'll most likely be airing this episode uh, sort of mid to late July. And I was just wondering if you thought ahead into the future to maybe, you know, August or September, uh, is there anything interesting or, you know, what's next for Smoke and Tears? What, what, what's on your horizon? Well, by the time this podcast has been aired, Smoke and Tears will have completed our first collaboration. Ooh. Have you ever tried Blood Brothers? <gasps> yes. Yes. So you're really? as excited as I am. Oh, wow. That's going to be interesting. It has been interesting. It has been. And not a surprise. This is 10 years in the making or eight years in the making, rather. Wow. Because as soon as we moved to the city, we became instantly aware of Blood Brothers. Because their beer was second mm. to none. And they were in our neighborhood as a burgeoning young company that began to blow up slowly. 
we saw them build a brewery, which then turned into a brewery and a tasting room from makeshift objects. And mm -hmm. uh, like branches on their taps. And I remember the first time I walked into this brewery and one of my friends said, Shannon, did you design the space? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I need to meet the person that did. did yeah. Because it was so deeply and perfectly aligned with our, with my aesthetic, like my permanent aesthetic that people know me for. And this kind of scrappy, gorgeous, industrious nature of creating tables out of whatever makeshift wood you have around and creating an altar around their tap room. Those kinds of things that I was, you know, probably deeply investigating in my undergrad, even in fine arts, were being, were clearly present here in Blood Brothers from everything from their labels to their bottles to their communication was gorgeous and as a local staple we saw them grow and grow organically thoughtfully creatively and never compromise the quality of what they do it's run by two brothers and they are both amazing they have stayed humble and kept it real despite the fact that they've recently been brought into the LCBO. Mm -hmm. The Shumai is available in Toronto now, and that is a huge uh, stroke for them. But mm -hmm. everything they've ever produced has been amazing. And I wonder if you've tried their beer as well. Yeah, oh, I have um, a while ago. I can't remember the last time uh, I've I had some, but uh, but I, I have I have tried the Blood Brothers stuff, and I have driven past the brewery. I haven't actually visited yet, so I'm on Gary. I'm thinking now, yeah, I'm thinking now that I should uh... in Toronto. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've been a crucial part of before in the before times when anyone ever came to town. I would take them on a food tour, and I used to joke that it was called the Bad to the Bone Food Tour. I like that. Which, Yes, bad to the bone food tour. And I would always take people to Blood Brothers and a few other places on Geary and a few other stops along in a little bit further north, such as Trey Marie, which is our favorite bakery. It's been run mm. by multiple generations of hardworking hustlers and now lovely brothers that just kind of run the place with their mother, who is like the most amazing starlet of the whole world. So yeah, we, we are very excited about this. We basically just took, we, we were just heading down to Geary. We took some bottles to our favorite restaurants down there, including Baldessari, which is a pasta making place. Um, these young, this young group of family that makes the most gorgeous pasta and supplies it to all of Toronto of mm -hmm. the highest caliber. And we took some bottles to Black Brothers as well, just to thank the staff, because we know they've been hustling since the pandemic start started. And we got a message from them and we're doing a double collaboration. So we will be launching a limited edition spicy beer oh, and nice. a 
and a Blood Brothers hot sauce on June twentieth on Father's Day. Amazing. So it's a so it's 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 both, right? It's a it's a beer product and a hot sauce product. Then yes. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. Yes, it's very lovely. I don't know even know how to talk about it yet. Um, <laughs> you know, basically the brothers tried our hot sauce and they were like, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You, as you guys said, as you and Hugh said, you know, it's not too smoky. It's not too this. It's not too, it's perfectly balanced. And everyone is appreciating that about these sauces right now. And so they were just happy to do a collaboration. We wanted to make some spicy beer. Um, they wanted, they were down to make some, beer oriented hot sauce so it's kind of a father's day oriented collaboration the hot sauce is great it's based on a traditional mexican adobo but with blood brothers stout mm-hmm. it's delicious we are mm. very excited they will have a number to sell we will have a more limited amount that we will be releasing on our website and we're just excited to there's no one better to introduce us to Toronto than the people that we've been kind of watching and loving and admiring this entire time. Yeah. I think that that pairing, that sounds like a, yeah, you said it, a perfect pairing. And just, I mean, the way that you just talked about the blood brothers, I can see that there's, you know, a, a deep appreciation, not just of their product, but again, of their packaging and of, of their aesthetic and of the fact that they as well, are going beyond just uh, you know we need we need to slap a logo on this so that we can sell it and it becomes a bit of an art, right? There's a lot of things that they do that isn't necessary for you know your standard low cost. Let's let's pay as little for branding as we possibly can, and no. I think that it makes a huge difference. They are pure art, pure mm-hmm. design, and pure mythology. And I'm so excited that uh, Smoke and Tears is joining that uh, landscape here in Toronto and, and hopefully uh, a, in a wider reaching uh, Canadian and even global uh, empire in the future, hopefully. <laughs> Maybe someday you can have, uh, you can do a, a collaboration with the Alchemist in the UK now that you have your, your UK citizenship as well. <laughs> now that you've showed me them, I'm <laughs> planning on it. They're gorgeous. This is, yeah. there's no place that we, we need to be more than this. So thank you for that. No problem. Shannon, listen, I just want to say, I think uh, this has been a fantastic episode. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, I think that there's so much more that we could talk about. So maybe someday we'll have to have like a recap or a regroup. Uh, But for now, thank you so much for sharing uh, with me and with our listeners the story about Smoke and Tears. And uh, and I really hope you have a a wonderful uh, week with your uh, Instagram takeover. Have a great launch and and collaboration with Blood Brothers. and, And we look forward to seeing more and more amazing products coming from from smoke and tears well thank you so much Stefan. this has been the greatest joy of my life and of my week and despite everything else that we have ahead of us it was so fun to watch you too eat those sauces (laughs) (laughs) this episode of can't sell this was produced in toronto ontario canada all creative content in this episode is copyright hugh elliott and Stefan grambart Questions or comments can be emailed to admin at cantsellthispodcast.com. Music for the podcast is provided by Not Of. Find Not Of at notof.bandcamp.com. 
opening and closing voiceover provided by jeffwright.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, a like in whatever platform you use goes a long way to helping the podcast get noticed. Thanks for listening and keep creating. Assume.